Hello and welcome to episode two of the Lincolnshire Non-League Radio podcast sponsored by DWE Timber Engineering and Angels Taxes of Boston. My name is Tom, co-commentator on the station, and this week we are joined by the manager of Pinchbeck United. As well as that, he's been the manager of Boston United on the 21s and manager and assistant manager at Spalding. Also a commentator on Endeavour FM Sport and also done some commentating with us as well. It's Lewis Thorogood. First of all, Lewis, thanks for coming on. How are you to start with? Yeah, very well. Very well. Thanks for having me. Um, reeling after uh, a big defeat last Saturday, but um, I'm sure we'll talk about that as uh, as this uh, as this podcast goes on. Yeah, of course. And uh, first of all, I think before we start, both uh, Darren and myself uh, want to say thank you for the support you give us. Of course, you were uh, when we first started covering uh, Pinchbeck back in April, May time in the Supplementary Cup, you helped us get the commentaries and stuff. And of course, you filled in for me a couple of times when I can't commentate. So uh, me and Darren both want to say thank you for the support you've given the radio station. Yeah, no, absolutely fine. You know, I think it's um, I think it's a great project you've got going there. Um, you know, non-league football and, and especially the, you know, the lower levels when you go kind of below Boston United, when you go kind of below step two, for example, and and, and into it down to step seven, it, it can be easily forgotten. Um, and actually, you know, people forget how big of the fan bases are with clubs in those levels. So, um, you know, it's, it's the least I can do. And it's, it's great that it's, uh, it's taking off. And I've got no hesitation that it'll get better as, uh, as the weeks go on. Yeah, as I said, uh, me and Darren both really appreciate uh, your help. So in this podcast, we'll be uh, speaking about uh, Lewis's thoughts on Pinchbeck season so far and other stuff about Pinchbeck in general. Then we'll be going back to how uh, Lewis got into football, uh, his, his other roles in management and stuff, and also uh, some other football things in general. So as I said, we will start with Pinchbeck. So uh, what do you uh, make of your season so far? Of course, you... Um, started uh, uh, with a bit of a sloppy start in August and then you seemed to pick up forming again in September, had a four-game on Beaton run, but since then it's uh, kind of gone downhill. Yeah, um, I think, as I've said to a lot of people, as, as, as things have gone on, um, as the season has, has kind of gone on so far, you know, when I came in um, a year ago, as of next week, actually, um, it was it was a case of picking a club up which, with the greatest respect, was at its lowest, um, both on the pitch and probably off it as well. Um, obviously, Pinchbeck has been quite renowned pre that to, you know, having success through the the Peterborough Premier Division and um, and obviously doing very well in the United Counties League Division One and gaining promotion um, to Step Five. Um, and I always knew that, you know, going in there it would be a rebuild job. And I always knew that it would have to be a patient job as well. Um, it was never all, all of a sudden overnight going to suddenly improve. Um, and I think we started to see slight progression last December, you know, when we very narrowly lost 2-1 at, at Shep Shed, who eventually got promoted to step four. Uh, then obviously we had the COVID hit again of the, the second lockdown, which disrupted things. And, you know, as, as I spoke to yourself and Darren, when we had the supplementary cup, you know, it was all about um, ensuring uh, that we can get a base of players that we can start to get to gel and use it as an extended pre-season. Um, so, you know, going into the season, you're absolutely right, Tom. You know, it was, it's all like playing pre-season friendlies, but playing those competitive league and cup fixtures, we looked like a team that uh, could be hard to beat, but we weren't scoring enough. That was our downfall in August. And we, we obviously picked up uh, the, the early draw against Sleaford. Um, and then we had a couple of defeats on the bounce. Uh, and then it kind of clicked. You know, we beat Selston. We, we drew at Holbeach and, and we probably should have won. We beat Newark. We drew at Heather St. John's. And, you know, we gained real momentum. Um, but unfortunately, you know, we slipped up in a, in a, in a good old-fashioned cup tie banana skin against Graham Street Prims in the Vars. And, you know, then we've come up against um, two good sides in Melton and, 
and obviously Long Eaton on Saturday. And, you know, it's important now that as we continue to grow and develop as a, as a club and as a team, we will get good days, we will get bad days. But, you know, I've said from the outset to everybody, it's about establishing ourselves as a respected and uh, looked at and known Step 5 club. So as you was talking about the supplementary club, uh, me and Darren have both said on air and off air that you've come a long way since then. Of course, a long way since uh, when you took over uh, back uh, about a year ago. And I think uh, you deserve a lot of credit and I think Pinchbeck do as well, because as you said, the club weren't in the best place uh, when you uh, when you uh, came in, but you've kind of got your own players now, you've built a good squad. And as you say, the the fixtures in April and May, even though some of the performances weren't great, you seen you soon started to click. And of course, uh, the uh, point against Sleaford probably helped and then uh, beating uh, Selston and Newark uh, quite dominantly and then getting a decent draw at Heverson Johns. I mean, surely those uh, three uh, good uh, results will uh, help you uh, progress in the season. Yeah, um, you know, I've got to be honest with you there, Tom, and say probably I was disappointed with the the points at home to Sleaford first game of the season. And, you know, can I just give Sleaford credit to where they've come? You know, obviously they've brought a new manager in and um, they've rebuilt and brought some really good players in to try and, like we are, be hard to beat. And and they're starting to reap the rewards of that. And, and probably my frustration on that first game of the season, it was a very... A nervous, tentative game. I think everybody had expectation from both sides. You know, obviously in previous seasons, Pinchbeck and Sleaford has always been a bottom of the table six pointer. Um, and but but looking back, you know, I think we should have looked to capitalise and get three points that night. But um, I think you're right. You, you know, we've we, we we've 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 chucked a lot of the shall we say the hoodoos away of Pinchbeck. You know, they'd not won a game in 751 days. And, you know, then we won two in the space of 10 days. So that's great. We we scored five goals against Newark, which is the, the highest number of goals scored in something like 900 and something days. We, um, we scored an FA competition, which um, the club have never done before, albeit we didn't get the rewards of, of winning that tie uh, in the Vars. And, you know, four games unbeaten, again, I don't think it's been done for the best part of two and a half years. Um, so there's a lot of positives, but I am very mindful that we've got a, a big job to do and a, and a long way to go still. So as we're recording this, uh, of course, uh, a few, three of your uh, players, I think it's three anyway, uh, played in the FA Youth Cup last night. Ben Robson, Christian Gaggy and Joe Melson. I mean, how does that... Uh, help, of course, them as a player, but help uh, Pinchbeck as a whole as well. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got a really good, um, we've got a really good link with, 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 Mark, with Tomo Mark Thompson at, at Boston United, who's the, the head of, uh, head of academy there. Um, and it's great to have the likes of Joe and Ben and Christian who are, you know, um, not only doing very well in the youth, respective youth team at Boston, but, also, it's a great grounding for them to get in and play senior men's football. And, and, you know, we've also got Finn Armand, who's now obviously part of Boston United's first team, and also Ben Johnson, who's uh, a third-year under-19 player. So we're very lucky to have those players at our disposal. The idea there is to supplement the good work they're doing at Boston um, by giving them, you know, senior men's football, which should give them an advantage at youth team level. Um, and, you know, help them with their development and their, their education. And I think this year, more than ever, and I'm sure, Tom, you will agree with this, um, I think the UCL, now it's been restructured and we've taken in some of the teams from Nottinghamshire and Leicestershire, I think it's a more competitive league. I think everybody can take points off each other. Um, and it's more of, a, it, you know, if I may say, it's more of a footballing league as well. But there's some real quality sides in there this year. So it's only going to help improve players individually. It makes clubs take stock and look to improve as well. Otherwise, you're going to very quickly fall behind. Um, but, you know, I'm really impressed with those three lads' progress. Um, you know, Christian's only 16, you know, and he's playing step five senior men's football and holding his own. So, you know, it's, it's great to have them on board. Their attitudes are superb. Um, you know, it benefits them by obviously training full time as well. So obviously they're sharper, fitter um, and, 
yeah, you, you know, it's it's a great link up to have and, and long may it continue. You speak about the league restructuring, um, of course, uh, this year. And if you uh, you said about all the quality teams, of course, Long Eaton, Heather St. John's, Gressley, they're all up there. And to me anyway, I don't know about you, but they were so unknown teams. And I know you uh, lost heavily to Long Eaton and uh, Gressley, but still getting a, a good draw, especially away at Heather St. John's. Surely uh, those kind of points uh, stick in your head come the end of the season. Absolutely, you know, and I think equally it, it balances the other way. You know, I look at the Gresley game away, and you know, Gresley have, have been a, traditionally a step four side. The last time I went there, I was I was manager at Spalding. It's a very, very, very difficult place to go. They're very physical, very direct. The pitch is on a massive slope. Everything's going against you as the the visiting side. Um, and you know, I look at that and go, do you know what? We conceded two goals from two set pieces, and and one from open play, and we weren't a million miles away. Heather St. John, very good footballing side, probably the one of the best footballing sides I've seen outside of academy football um, to play senior men's football. And it showed real grit and character to, to get a point there because not many teams will get something there this season. Um, but equally, on the bounce to that, you know, obviously we, we, we lost heavily to a, uh, a very good long eaten side who are very physical, very direct, fantastic set piece specialists. Um, and they're a good old fashioned non-league side in the way they play. And we have to learn a lesson from that. And we have to know that, albeit we're doing good stuff this season, we're still a long way away from the levels of, let's use a long eaten as example. Yeah, I completely agree with you. And also on the subject of uh, the league restructuring, of course, a lot of the teams coming in are from Nottingham and uh, Derby Way. Of course, you've still got Ainsley and Loughborough around the Leicester area. But especially uh, a lot of there's a lot of Derby games now to enjoy. And uh, I think that's great uh, for the league and this local area. Absolutely. You know, I think the introduction of Skegness was was the right thing to do. I, I have no idea why they got put in the Northern Counties East Division, uh, Division One last last couple of seasons, because um, it just geographically didn't make any sense. Um, and I think when you look at it, what we got, we've got Skegness, Boston Town, Sleaford, um, Deepin, Hull Beach, you, you know, and, and they're the ones which are just, you know, they come off the top of my head. I think I, think I worked out we've got six or seven local derbies um, in a season, which is fantastic. And, and, and I'll give credit to the, to the league. They've tried to structure them whereby some of these local derbies have been midweeks under floodlights, which just gives that little bit more of an atmosphere and a feel about it. Um, and obviously around the seasonal time as well, you know, Christmas. So, you know, it is great that you have got more derby games because you can say what you like. There is a bit more passion there. The crowds are bigger. Um, and that's what we want at this level of well, any level of football. That's that's what you you crave, and that's what you look for. I mean, of course, uh, when you say about uh, the derbies playing in midweek, of course you're going to have uh, the odd game. I don't know, like in uh, Leicester and uh, Derby way, like you did away at Ainsley Nomads the other week, what got called off, and of course that would be annoying to you, especially the long distance on a Tuesday night. But uh, surely it really does benefit having these uh, local games uh, mainly in a midweek and it helps the players and of course yourself who are all uh, still at work you're not this is not a full-time level and uh, I was speaking to Simon about this from Boston Town on the podcast last week and he completely agreed it, it really helps uh, with traveling especially in midweek with all these local derbies being mainly played uh, on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. Yeah I think I think that does help when you look at the the, the feasibility and the realism of of people working and travel etc. So you're absolutely right, but I also think it helps financially as well. You know, it's you, you know I look at some of the crowds for some of the recent midweek games. You know, I think Sleaford and Deeping the other week got over. I think it was was it near on two hundred. I think just it over two hundred. Uh, two hundred and five. Me and Darren. Yeah, were, yeah, it was a really good. We, attendance. Yeah, that's a fantastic attendance. You know, I know when we played Sleaford on the Wednesday night start of the season. I think we had a hundred and I want to say 169 there, which was great. Um, you, you look at the game when we went to Deeping Rangers just before August bank holiday. And I think there was a good 180 there as well. So financially get, you know, probably be realistic about it. Playing a local derby on a Saturday. Yeah. You'll get a fairly good crowd, but I bet we gained 
And I bet clubs have gained an extra 40 to 50 people per game on the gates by people being realistic about how these games are penciled in. And all of a sudden, you're talking an extra, you know, anything from two to three hundred pounds extra gate receipts. Um, and that goes a hell of a long way when you've got costs, players' expenses, you know, outgoings. You're doing that an extra, you're doing that what six, seven times this season. It's an extra 15, 1600 quid, which is like a cup run. So, you know, yes, from a footballing perspective and a footballing purist perspective, of course, it's great to have um, midweek games for the supporters and stuff. But when it comes to the operating and running of a club, financially, it's a massive, massive benefit. Yeah, uh, of course, you talk about uh, the money and uh, stuff. But I think even even on a Saturday, all the games we covered this year, there's there's not been a bad attendance. There might be one or two where it's been maybe under 50. But even at Witherton, uh, they still get good crowds in. And I know I know you, uh, that's a uh, free entry, but from around the United Counties League Division 1 upwards, having all these fans uh, come to your games and stuff, whether it's the league, the FA Vars, the FA Cup, it uh, really helps the club financially, especially in the current climate we're in. Totally. And, you know, people cannot forget that we are still in the midst of um, coming out of a pandemic. And, you know, costs, just because we've been in a pandemic, costs don't suddenly reduce or disappear. Um, and even when we were in the COVID pandemic and in a lockdown, there's still costs involved. You know, even the silly little things, you know, if it's, it might be insurances, it might be, um, you know, utility costs, different things like that. There are always costs for a football club 12 months of the year, irrespective of whether you're playing or whether you're not playing. And, you know, it is still very difficult to obtain sponsorship and sponsors because, you know, businesses like football clubs have just come out of the pandemic and they are wanting to obviously recoup lost revenue um, over a, a significant period of time. So, um, again, you know, everybody's got to work hard to be a little bit creative in how we fundraise or bring money into clubs. Um, and, and that's just one element to, to help. Uh, change of a subject now, away uh, from Pinchbeck. So I want to uh, focus this more on uh, now on, on you. So uh, how have you? How did you get into football uh, all those years ago? I mean, you've uh, had oh, a, few, a few management uh, jobs over the last few years at Boston under twenty ones and Spalding and Pinchbeck. I mean, did you even uh, play in general? I mean, tell us more about that. Yeah, no. Being quite honest with you, I um, I played local football for Bourne Town Juniors when I was a kid growing up. Um, a lot of the influence was through my dad. I blame him for being where I am today, but that's another, that's another podcast for another day. Um, and yeah, you know, uh, like any kid, I went through the ranks playing, playing junior football. I'll be honest and say I never really made it to the dizzy heights of any significant level of football as I grew up. And I was very, very lucky when I was growing up, I was a massive, as everybody knows who knows me, especially around the Boston part, I was a massive Boston United supporter, lived and breathed Boston United seven days a week. Um, went to watch my first game in 1992 in the, the GM Vauxhall Conference at York Street um, against Merthyr Tidville. It was a boring nil-nil draw and I said to my dad, you know, I want to come and watch another game and then, you know, the rest is history, so to speak. And, it was kind of a little bit of kind of fortune in how I got into coaching. Um, my dad started to become more and more involved in football in the Boston area and became a part of what was called Boston Young Pilgrims at the time, who played in the Mid-Links League. And they were like an unofficial feeder junior club of Boston United before the days of Academy Centre of Excellences and Youth Teams. Um, and when Boston United got promoted to the Football League, that was the opportunity to then start up the Centre of Excellence. Um, and at that point, the Boston Young Pilgrims structure was taken in by Boston United to start to build the Centre of Excellence. And my dad went across with that and went into a coaching role there. And I used to go along with him. You know, I used to go and watch these Centre of Excellence matches with the younger age groups. And I kind of liked 
the fact that the coaching side of it was rewarding, especially for the youngsters. But you were going and playing the likes of Lincoln City and Nottingham Forest and, you know, going to really good training grounds. And it was, I just liked it. And, and I'll be honest, that kind of took my attention more than playing did. And I was really, really lucky. I got a break when I was 18, 19 at the Centre of Excellence to come in as an assistant coach and learn the ropes. And the, the head of youth at the time were Neil Richardson and Daryl Pugh. And they gave they put me on a little trial and I had to put on some sessions and prove myself. And I'd just got my level one qualification. So I was very raw and very new. But they said, you know what, if you're prepared to learn and if you're prepared to, 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 to be patient, we'll give you a shot as an assistant at the Centre of Excellence. And it kind of just, that was it. That was my start of coaching. Um, I shadowed my dad. He was a head coach of number of age groups through the, through the Centre of Excellence from under eights all the way through to under 14s, 15s. And it kind of just built from there. And then obviously when Neil and Darrell moved on, Steve Welsh came in. And many Lincolnshire football supporters will know Steve through local football, through Boston United and beyond. Um, and he was my mentor. He him and I worked as years went on and Boston United went through their troublesome times, which are, you know, of, of obviously the CVA and being demoted through Leeds. Um, he was my mentor and we worked so close together that we became a bit of a, a bit of a team to ensure that the centre of excellence and the, the youth structure carried on after they'd fallen out of the football league. And I was really lucky. I got that break and I worked through as a head coach through to the older age groups. I, I was lucky enough to then do work with the under-18 youth team in FA Cup runs, sorry, FA Youth Cup runs. And then when Dennis Green was manager, I got my break to, <coughs> I was aware that they wanted to set up an under-21 development side. And, and, I, and I put my application in to, to the manager, who was Dennis Green at the time. And he said, you know what? You know the club inside out. You live and breathe this club. I'm going to give you a shot. And that was it. That got me really kind of to the next level of coaching when I was not only able to blood and nurture the youth team players between that and Boston United's first team, but I was also really lucky to be able to work with players who would drop down into the under-21s, the likes of Carl Pierre Gianni um, yeah. and, and players like that. And, and I was just so lucky. And, you know, we won that development league the first year. We absolutely cleaned it up and we progressed two or three players into the first team, which was the, the, the idea of it. And yeah, the rest is history. You know, it was a great ground. And, you know, Boston United has always been my, my club as a kid. Um, I love that club. I had the, the pleasure of, of going and having a look around the new ground for the first time last the other week. Uh, I went to watch the FA Youth Cup tie against Mikelova Sports. And yeah, you, you know, the dream when I was working at Boston United, for the amount of years that I did, was to obviously move grounds. And, and in one respect, I, I'm sad that obviously I wasn't there to be part of that move from York Street to the new ground. Um, but do you know what? Absolute credit to everybody that's there. Still a lot of people there that I know. They work hard. The chairman, the vice chairman have been fantastic. The guys on the ground work tirelessly. Craig and all the guys in the community set up and... Yeah, you know, I'm I'm really pleased for him. So really, that was the start of my of my coaching journey, shall we say? So uh, was it in? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. So was it in between, uh, or even during your Boston United youth team roles as coaches and uh, going to Spold United? You did some work with Endeavour FM Sport as well. <laughs> yeah, no, I was, I was when I was at Boston United. So I was I, I was effectively uh, I was the I was kind of working as. Centre of Excellence Administrator and Steve Welsh is number two at running the, the Centre of Excellence. I was coaching one of the age groups. And then, I'll be honest, I don't really know how it came about. I've got to be honest. I, and I can't even remember. But um, Dylan, who, who obviously set up, Dylan Taylor, who set up Endeavour FM at the time, um, somewhere along the line, we crossed paths and... I was also doing a little bit of work for BBC Radio Lincolnshire, doing co-commentating with uh, Boston United matches, away matches in particular. Um, and Endeavour 
and I kind of crossed paths and they said, look, would you like to come on board and, and do some co-commentating? And you know what? We had some fantastic times. Um, playoff semi-finals against Chorley, North Ferriby. You know, there's, there's, there's just so many different occasions that we've co-commentated where there's been highs and lows and good and bad. Um, and, you know, yeah, that gave me my, probably my break to be able to do a bit of work in radio. And I did more with BBC Radio Lincolnshire. Now I'm doing some with you guys. I still pop into BBC Radio Lincolnshire and do Friday night shows occasionally. And, yeah, you know, again, it was a, a great experience. Very, very lucky to be able to to co-commentate and, and, and give my view because ultimately, even though I was a Boston United employee, I'm a football supporter, all said and done. And sometimes the passion ran a bit too, uh, bit too wild over the airways when it came <laughs> to the results. But um, I do remember a very, very famous time when we played Altrincham in the FA Cup fourth qualifying round. And we ended up, I think, losing 3-1 to Altrincham. And we had a man sent off. And the Altrincham directors were sat, if you remember, Tom, I'm sure you've been there. They were yeah, they they just underneath where yeah, the press box is are, at York yeah. Street. And I was commentating. And, and I made a comment, something about one of the Altrincham players or, or something about cheating or something like that. And yes, I, yeah. I remember the fateful day when they turned around to me and made a comment back. And I made a comment back at them. And then they went and spoke to to our chairman and then I got hauled in and got a bit of a telling off so all said and done it was it was passion you know I'm a, and all said and done we're football supporters that's what we do this for we're football supporters um, and yeah sometimes the passion goes a bit a bit too much Exactly. Uh, so uh, I, after Endeavour FM and of course your Boston United roles, you uh, went on to uh, well, I think you was assistant manager at Spalding first when you became manager yeah, obviously, but different things happened at Boston United when uh, managers, when did after Dennis Green had gone, when managers came and go, they had different views, they had different you know thoughts and opinions on development structures and how things should be run, and that's fine. I respect that. That's all managers have different ideas and opinions, um, and I got an opportunity to go and set up Spalding United's under twenty ones. And, and create a development pathway for them at step four of non-league football, um, of which I, I, I created that in the first season. And I knew there'd be an irony when we played that league because the first game and the fixtures came out was Boston United at home. Um, <laughs> and, and I always knew that was going to be the make and break straight away. And Boston United brought a really good, strong side with them in late August. And it was my big kind of reveal, so to speak, to the Spalding people and, it was only an under-21s league game. We had a fantastic attendance. It was well over 200. And I'm thinking, oh, Christ, this is going to be a nightmare if this don't go right. And, you know, I had ex-Boston United development players playing for me. I had my old staff that I'd taken across from Boston to Spalding. It was all set up to be a, a complete failure, if I'm honest with you. But um, and, and we beat them 2-0. And, you know, that was... Uh, that probably started my journey at Spalding and won the respect of the Spalding supporters and, and, and people over. Um, so we did that. And then I started to become a kind of part of the backroom staff with the first team as well at weekends because um, the 21s league was a midweek league. Um, and then the manager at the time, Chris Rawlinson, stepped down after a, uh, an FA Cup defeat we had back at, at Brantham Athletic in in Suffolk, we went there, lost 1-0. We should have beaten them. He he decided to step down on the coach on the way back. Uh, Matt Easton, who was the assistant manager at the time, got promoted to interim manager and he asked me to be his assistant. And we did a good job for the first four or five games in interim charge and we got given the job um, permanently about four or five weeks later, of which we did, a, I think, probably the best part of a season and a half together. Um, he then stepped down due to personal health reasons um, as manager and they made me interim manager, uh, of which I probably did, I think, three, four games. Um, and we managed to get, I think, two wins. I think it was two wins and two draws on the bounce. Um, and then I remember driving to Cleethorpes to play a league game 
in the March and the chairman at the time ringing and saying, we'd like to offer you the position full time. Um, but for some reason, I only go to football clubs that had financial difficulty. So I spent my best days at Boston United and we didn't have a penny to our name, fighting and scrapping to do the best we can for, for the club and, you know, the supporters and ensure we progressed. And then at Spalding United, we had no money either. Um, so it was always about uh, reconciliation and, and ensuring we secured the, the future of the club. And it was a difficult task, but we did it. We stayed up and then, and then COVID hit. And, you know, when we came back, the club had been taken over by the, the current owners. And, you know, we, we started, what was it, last season? Start of last season, I won the first two games, um, lost the next three narrowly, but against good outfits who ended up before the season got halted in the top five. And, and you know, they had their vision of how they wanted to move the club. And, you know, we, we parted ways. So uh, then, of course, um, about a couple of months later, uh, just before, or as you said uh, earlier on in the podcast, uh, about uh, you said a week uh, next week, or sorry, a year next week since you joined Pinchbeck. Uh, would you um, say that because, of course, Pinchbeck and Spalding share a ground that helps being uh, the Pinchbeck United manager, that you've still got a few connections with Spalding because they play at the same ground or you get the same fans support you? Um, yeah, I, I think, yes, obviously I've got a lot of contacts. You know, I've been very, very lucky that I've made a lot of contacts in football from, you know, the National League all the way down to, to step six, step seven. I'm very, very lucky in that respect. And, um, you know, I have still got good links at Spalding United in terms of people that I, I know there. Um, I'd love to see more Spalding supporters come and support Pinchbeck when Spalding are away if they're not wanting to go and travel to watch Spalding because of distance or whatever. It'd be great to, to maybe adopt some of those supporters um, because ultimately, you know, we're not here to challenge Spalding United you know we're a league below but you know we are a, a fellow South Holland club no different to has to as Boston Town and Boston United are in, in, in the town and you know it'd be lovely to see some more Spalding supporters come out and enjoy as they do at Spalding you know good non-league football um, so we do you know I've, I've, I have shall we say adopted some have come across with me or or keep an active eye on both clubs. Um, but I'd love to build that relationship with the supporters further so they can enjoy, well, effectively, a game of football every Saturday if they don't want to travel throughout the whole season. So uh, so you've, uh, so with Boston, uh, Spalding and Pinchbeck, out of all those clubs, uh, where was your uh, best moment in football or so far oh, in your career? Oh, wow. Um, well, there's a question. Any particular names to care or anything? Yeah, I, I think I think for me, I, I think there's different little milestones as you go along. I think as a very young manager, you know, when I was under 21 manager at Boston, I was only in my mid uh, 20, I think it was 26, 27, probably, no older than that, um, to win the development under 21 development league at Boston United, who are my childhood club. Um, and to be able to give something back to the club of that sort of level where I was progressing players and doing a bit as well. I was, I think that was a real, I was really proud of that because I'm still very, you know, we're, we're, all managers in football have a lot to learn. I'm 36. I don't know it all. I've still got a lot to learn. And, you know, that's just how football develops. But I think that was a, a big moment for me, winning it at home at York Street. Not a bad crowd turned out for it as well. It was great. I think when we played Burnley in the FA Youth Cup, third round, uh, fourth round proper, we got, a, you know, we're going back pre to when I took the 21s on. We went to, we went to Burton Albion and we shouldn't have won there. And we won 2-1. And this was in the time when the likes of Charlie Sanders were in Boston United youth team. And then we drew Burnley at home, who were the FA Youth Cup semi-finalists the year before. And, you know, BBC Radio Lincolnshire were there. 
the, the you know the press were there. It, you know, we got done seven nil. We were going to get done seven nil. They were a superb outfit. They had England under eighteen and under nineteen internationals in their team. It, it was a great moment, though. It was a great moment to see that the academy and the centre of excellence at Boston had progressed to that level. And I really hope that Tomo and, and Mark Melson and everybody at Boston United can replicate that this season. They've done really well. They're in the first round proper now. Bit of a look at the draw and a bit of momentum and they can go and do something similar. And I hope they do. I think beating Boston United's under 21s when I took when I was just starting at Spalding was a a good moment because I wanted to prove that um, I was better than maybe some had given me credit for in terms of managerial perspective at Boston at the time. And then I think I was really proud when I got made manager at Spalding. You know, step four, I was still in my early 30s, youngest manager at that level. Um, you know, it's a big responsibility. And, you know, I think I can only look back and, and be proud about what I achieved and how I achieved it. I, I kept that club in that league. We kept them in business as a collective group of volunteers. Um, and, you know, that, that gives me a... It's easy for supporters to come out and condemn you when you've lost a game or you've lost two or three games on the bounce. But some people don't realise that, you know, in the, the season I was an interim manager, because the club was in such dire straits, the players didn't get paid for the best part of three months. No, yeah. Because right, we, yeah. Had no, we had no money. We had nothing. And they were travelling all around the country, or the north, shall we say, for nothing to because they had they loved that club and as a group we were such a tight-knit group of players and 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 I'll always remember we went to play Stamford and we we had a, I had an, an average age in my team of 18 years old and Stamford are a fantastic club fantastic team Graham Drury's got a superb settled squad there um, and we went one nil up and then they systematically came back at us and picked us apart in front of the best part of nearly 500 people. And people were very quick to condemn and go on social media and make fun of the situation and give me abuse and mock me. And I, and I hate this part of social media. You know, they, they like, people want to jump on people's misgivings and misfortunes. And what they didn't realise is the fact that I had an average team of 18 years old and none of them were getting any money for turning up. They were doing it for purely the love of football and the fact that they wanted to work together. And, you know, I think some people need to understand that non-league football is, is really tough. No matter what level you're at, it's really tough because yeah. you're, always, you're always looking at the bank account. You're always looking at making sure you're sustainable. You're always looking at making sure you're doing best for the club and the supporters. You, you said at the top of this show, Tom, that, you know, we work and it's part-time. Well, do you know what? It's not. A manager of a non-league football club works seven days a week. Guarantee that. You're always on the phone. You're always messaging and speaking to players. You're always dealing with problems or planning or training or watching matches. It's, it's a seven-day-a-week job. But do you know what? I wouldn't change it for the world. That's uh, some good answers there. And uh, going back uh, to Pinchbeck, you've uh, nearly been there a year. So hopefully if you can get a, a good run going again, uh, like, I don't know, like you did uh, early September, hopefully you can create some more memories there. Absolutely. You know, this is a long-term project. It's not a short-term fix. So let's get that, let's get that right straight away. You know, that's, that's the key for me. Um, and we are systematically, slowly but surely, bringing in and pulling together and developing a really good crop and group of players with some experience and some, you know, some youth and a little bit of inexperience in areas. But they all want to be here for the right reasons. They all want to work hard. They're all hurting massively after Saturday. Um, and that was reflected in training last night. And, you know, this season is about making this club respectable, making sure that it is sustainable in this league, turning some heads and making people sit up and go, actually, do you know what? Pinchbeck United aren't the Pinchbeck United of old that are pushovers and we're going to rock up and knock six or seven past them every week and build 
for next season and look to see where it can take us. You know, we've still got the County Shield to play this year. We've still got the League Cup. We've still got 27 fixtures in the league to play or how many games we've got to play. So there's a hell of a long season to go. But I'll be critical and say I always want us to do better and I want us to improve and I want us to be the best we can be. So at the minute, we've not achieved our goal. But, you know, let's be realistic. It's mid-October. We're still only two months into the season. There's a long way to go and a lot of football to be played. Exactly. Uh, fair play to you for being uh, so honest about it as well. Uh, but we are uh, going to change the subject uh, from the local theme and uh, talk about something which is quite big in the Premier League at the moment. So with yourself being a manager, you're the first manager we've had on this. I want to ask your opinion on something. I mean, what do you think about the situation with Steve Bruce at Newcastle? Of course, he hasn't left yet or been sacked yet. But should do you think he should be given a chance to let him show the new, the new owners there what he can do? Or do you think they should instantly bring someone new in? Um, okay, as a manager... I'm going to go on to manager's union here for a second. A manager should be allowed to be given a period of time to prove his worth. Newcastle United this season are not going to go and win the Premier League. So let's get it right. Irrespective of whether they've got 230 billion or whatever they've got, they could go and sign the whole of the world in January if they wanted to. They're not going to win the Premier League this year. But surely, you know, he's been around in the Premier League now quite a while. So he's quite well established. It's not like he's, he's naive to the Premier League and he's never done it before or anything like that. And OK, he's not had the greatest of results and he's been scraping by at Newcastle over the last couple of seasons. I respect it's not been easy for him. And equally, has he had the support of the previous owner to bring in the players that he needs to strengthen the side. No, he hasn't. But of course, supporters won't see what goes on behind the scenes. They'll just see what turns out at three o'clock on a Saturday. And that I respect. I do think he should be given a period of games. I do think he should be given half a dozen games to actually get, because they they can't bring anybody in at the minute. They can't, when I say they can't bring anybody in, they can't bring any players in. No, they can't. There's nobody that they can physically, unless they're free agents, there's nobody that they can sign on a permanent deal at this precise moment until the January transfer window. Even though they can do pre agreements, they can't be utilized. So we've got to look at the squad that he's got at his disposal and go, right, we've got a great opportunity here with the right financial backing, the right support, the right better infrastructure. No more hassle about the owner being the wrong person and let's get him out and let's get him out. Give him half a dozen games. If he doesn't show any improvement and if that squad of players do not show any improvement, now they have got somebody who's a billionaire there, then respectfully, that's it. You've been given enough rope to hang yourself. It's tough. Do I think he'll take charge on Sunday? I think he probably will, actually, truth be told. Yeah. I I know a lot of people have been saying... Oh, no, 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 no. He'll be dismissed before Sunday's game. I don't think he will. I think Sunday will probably be his one chance. Yeah, so it's his, th- it's, it's his thousandth game managing, I believe, in the Premier League uh, or, or in management. I'll stand corrected which stat that is, but it's his thousandth game in that capacity. I think, I, I think he will be given... Sunday to show what the club and what he can produce and give him that lifeline to see what happens. Um, Ultimately, do I think he'll be there long term? I'm afraid no, I don't think he will. And I think sometimes as well, he puts himself under so much pressure from all the, the antics in the press. You know, Sky Sports News came out the other day, breaking news. They're outside the training group. Steve Bruce takes the training session. Is that really news? Is that really is that really sports news? Steve Bruce takes the training session. Well, that's genius. Um, I do think somebody else will come in. Um, It's football. Football at that level is a you know football at any level, but football at that level is a commercial business. It's about results. It's about profitability. It's about 
ensuring that they can be winning things and getting the kickbacks and the benefits from it. There'll be a new manager in place before we get to winter, let's put it this way. Uh, thanks uh, for your opinion on that. And I'll go into another Premier League uh, club now, to Watford. Of course, they uh, sacked their manager, Zisco Monos, uh, coming up to two weeks ago. And uh, I was uh, researching this before uh, we went on, and they've had uh, 10 different or over 10 different managers in 10 years. So uh, I want to ask you, do you agree with this? At all? And do you think that manager should be given more time? I mean, of course, if you're having a really, really bad run, you would, uh, of course, sack your manager or uh, think about doing it anyway. But if you look at Watford, they haven't done absolutely awful. I mean, they got relegated a couple of seasons, about two seasons ago. But that's really the only ne- the only really major negative thing they've really done in the last 10 years. Absolutely. I think there's two elements to that. I think the owner, chairman and board of Watford need to have a look and go, well, actually, are they recruiting the right individual in the first place? to prevent having to do that every five minutes. On the basis of the fact that he got sacked two weeks ago and they're sat 15th in the table on seven points, is that an argument to say, well, why has Southampton's manager not got sacked? Why why has Sean Dyche at Burnley not got sacked? He's he's played seven games on three points. Why, Why has Norwich City's manager not got sacked? He's played seven games. He's got one point. Some of these clubs chase glory and Watford are never going to win the Premier League. Their owners will know that. But all they do is they they panic immediately and press the big red panic button and go, right, what's the solution? Well, the solution is let's get rid of the manager. You're absolutely right, Tom. If you're getting apps, you know, they're sat there on 15th on seven points. You know, after however many games they've played, is it 10 games, seven games, something like that? So they're averaging a point a game. Now, you're absolutely right. If they're sat rock bottom and they've been smashed to pieces last seven games and you just do not look like you're anywhere near getting any points, you've got to make a decision. You've got to move. You've got to change something. The old adage in football goes, managerial changes occur after the first 10 games of the season because that gives you the best yardstick to where that club's going to go for some reason this year whether it's because of covid and they want to try and ensure that they recruit accrue better uh, income through supporters turning up etc shirt sales whatever it be they're pa- they're pressing the panic button earlier seven games he got sacked now don't get me wrong claudio ranieri superb appointment superb appointment if they don't give him time and if they were stupid enough to sack him after, I don't know, the end of this season or something like that, well, the only mugs that are going to be there are basically the owners and chairman of Watford. Yeah. Um, Claudio Ranieri won the league with Leicester with, a, with respect, a very average squad that he managed to get to click and do something very special with, which will never be forgotten. And it's made Leicester the club they are today. So for me, you know, Claudio Ranieri needs time to be able to work with the current squad, look to be able to strengthen in January if necessary. And again, what, what, what frustrates me is that chairmen don't look beyond that season. You know, a manager's coming in with fresh ideas, fresh thoughts, new renewed energy. Give them, give them a couple of seasons to prove their work. Don't just pull the trigger just because things aren't going right after 10, 12 games, 15 games. Because on that basis, what's the point? It's, it's, it's pointless. So it's difficult. Everybody will have an opinion on it, Tom. Of course they will. But I think, you know, managers do need to be given a little bit more of a chance if they're not at the extreme of obviously sat rock bottom and being beaten up left, right and centre, of course. Yeah, exactly. I think you've uh, hit the nail on the head with both those things. It was just a really interesting to get your opinions. Of course, you're the first manager we've had on here. So uh, thank you for telling me what you think. So uh, to finish off the podcast, we're going to go back to Pinchbeck uh, for the last time. And uh, uh, at the end of every podcast, I'm asking uh, someone from each club, where do you think roughly you'll finish. It doesn't have to be an exact place. It can be <laughs> in a certain position or another position. Just want to hear your opinion on that. 
Couldn't we have done this podcast bef- uh, before we lost three games on the spin? That would have been a lot easier. Um, where do I think we're going to finish? I think, as to, to, to summarise very quickly, as I said throughout this, we are a developing, gelling and learning group, which are having the good times and the bad times, but ultimately, longer term, will improve. I want us to look to finish mid-table. My, my aspiration is us to be top 10. Um, that would be great if we can be, obviously, halfway is ninth. If we can be above that, fantastic. Um, there's some work to do to get to that, but equally, the team, teams in that middle part of the table are quite bunched up in terms of the points. Yeah. And they're all taking points off each other, as, as you know, Tom. Um, so for me, job one, not have any worry or, or, or issues with relegation, which I think we've got enough in our squad this season to not have those concerns, but there's still a long way to go. So let's not get complacent. If we can finish mid-table this season and then have a real good foundation to kick on next season, I'll be, I'll be fairly satisfied. I think realistically, when you look at it, you had that uh, good run in September and you went from uh, around uh, 16th, 15th and you found your way up to ninth in about uh, ninth in the matter of two, three games. So if you keep on really winning all these mid-table games, anything can happen. You could soon shoot up to, as you said, top 10. And then, of course, you come against the tougher opposition, which will be tough games as you've uh, I've, we've seen already from Pinchbeck, but you know, uh, good luck to you for the rest of the season. And I think me and Darren have both said you're doing a cracking job. And uh, especially when you came in, uh, there was such in a bad place. And you've got your own players in. You've built a, a decent squad, which seems uh, to get along quite well. So, well done you for doing that. No, it's appreciated. Thank you. And again, thank you to you guys for your support. Um, I'll be with you every, every step of the way this season and I'm sure I'll be dropping in and doing the occasional cameo again whenever um, you're unavailable or anything like that or, or even when you two are there if it's a nice big attractive game so you know it's great you guys what you're doing um, I hope as many people as possible continue to listen to the station listen to the games follow them on Twitter you know make sure that you know, you get the latest updates on there. And, you know, I think this is a real good project which will continue to grow as the, the seasons go on. So, uh, once again, uh, thank you, Lewis, for joining me. We do have some uh, upcoming commentaries to tell you about. On Tuesday, the 19th of September, uh, October, sorry, which is next Tuesday, uh, Harrowby United will be at Harrowby United versus Blackstone. Spend the following night. Uh, we'll be at the Vertigo Stadium for a massive derby in the United Counties League with Skegness Town versus Boston Town. Me and Darren will be at that game. And on the following Saturday, we've got Boston Town again. They're at home to Hanley Town in the FA Vars. And Darren has left me in charge of that game as he is away that weekend. So I've recruited my dad to come and help me do some co-commentating with me. So that should be a really uh, fun one. So uh, thanks again, Lewis. Uh, for uh, joining me tonight and thank you to everyone for listening thanks to our sponsors DWB Timber Engineering and Angels Taxes for all the support uh, you give us but once again thanks to Lewis Lewis, for joining me thanks uh, for you guys for listening and I'll see you next week goodbye